to Get Right for Sunday. This podcast is designed to get you and me into God's Word for Sunday worship and beyond. One thing my wife and I miss during the pandemic is going out to eat. The Bible readings this Sunday talk about feasting, but the Gospel reading has a a strange twist at the end. One poor guy gets thrown out of the greatest feast of all time. So what is the greatest feast? And could you or I possibly be thrown out? Let's get into the conversation with Pastor Wright and Vicar Leeper. Thank you for joining us. I am Pastor Wright. And I'm Vicar Leeper. And we're going to look at the readings for the 19th Sunday after Pentecost, especially the Gospel lesson, St. Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. This is yet again another parable that Jesus tells us, but he has this whole event taking place where you got this king who's going to have this humongous royal feast in celebration of his son's wedding. And he invites specific people. They say no. Then the king comes and actually uh, kills them, sending his troops and his armies and kills and destroys and then gathers anybody and everybody and then yet again kicks someone out because they're not dressed right. And then at the end, you have Jesus saying, for many are called, but few are chosen. A lot is happening, and I didn't give justice to the text in my summary. But one of the first things I'd like to start off with is the wedding feast. Right. This is awesome. We're talking about food. We're talking about party. It's an exciting thing. But it's also a long thing. Well, and more than just uh, wedding feasts in ancient uh, Israel and, and Judea were long, long affairs. I, I thought my wedding was expensive, and it was mostly just an afternoon. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine having an ancient Jewish wedding, which would have lasted for at least a week. Yes. But this was a royal ancient Jewish wedding, which would have meant it lasted for an indefinite amount of time. Pretty much as long as the king wanted it to last. Uh, there are There are some... Tales of some not some good kings, like the king in Esther, who threw a party that was lasting over a hundred days. And the people that were originally invited to the party were so tired, they started just pulling anybody in so they could keep the party going. Uh, these These royal feasts were really, really big deals and were chances for the king to show off his his generosity, to to give back and throw massive, huge affairs. Well, at the beginning, we have this wedding taking place, or the wedding feast, the wedding party. And you have specific people invited, and they don't show up. Mm -hmm. They don't come. And of course, this would be, well, just frankly, an insult. These are your chosen guests. Yes. You want to celebrate with these people. And they say, no, I'm good. that's, That's an insult. It is. And with this, there's another thing in which the uh, guests are saying, yes, I see that you have prepared feast. I see that you have something to celebrate, 
but my home and my life is worth celebrating, staying home. I have everything you're offering at home. I don't have to go to you. Which I get. There have been times when I've been invited to weddings, and I've looked at the invitation, and it said that it's like 12 hours away. And, man, I do love a free meal. I, I love, you know, the opportunity to gather and to dance and to eat. But sometimes I'm just like, eh, I'd rather just spend the weekend at home. And I'll send them a gift uh, through their registry. But now, if you were invited to a royal feast... Well, I'd go just out of curiosity, yeah, at least. At least, but also, like, this is your... This is your king yeah. who's inviting you, but also in a sense like commanding you, yeah. I, w- I would think. I mean, he's your he's your king. He's in a position of authority over you. Well, there there'd definitely be some obligation. Sure. This wouldn't be a willy-nilly, eh. No, your king, mm-hmm. your sovereign has asked and requested your presence. That's not an arbitrary thing. And so, again, that's an insult. And we hear that they have things to do and things that they wanted to do, and they... um, She says they paid no attention. Right. And so the king does something. He reacts. Uh, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy because they chose to not be there. And telling his servants, go therefore to the main roads... And invite the wedding to the wedding feast as many as you find. But this is only after he goes out and sends his army and his soldiers to kill and destroy those who were originally invited. Which does seem like a perhaps extreme reaction to us. I mean, there were people that didn't show up to my wedding and I didn't send soldiers after them. Yeah, it seems to escalate really fast. Now, granted, I'm not a I'm not a king, but remember This is a parable. This isn't an event that actually happened, but this is a story that Jesus is telling to teach us something and to make a point. So, Pastor Wright, what what point do you think Jesus is making by by putting this detail in there? The king killing those who uh, he invited, but who scorned his invitation, who didn't come, who dishonored him by doing this. At this point, God is making the statement, of course, he is the king. And uh, Israel, uh, his chosen people, are the ones who have been invited to the wedding feast. And in essence, they're saying, I see what you're offering, and it is good. But what I have is just as good, and I'm going to put my trust in my work, my house, my field, my food. I don't need what you're offering. And it really is God saying, I'm the one who provides and gives. And if you are not going to take my stuff and receive it in faith, then you have nothing. Mm. And he really lays it out showing you have nothing without me. And it really points to what we have when we live an unfaithful life or a life of unbelief, a life of rebellion against God's good gifts. Well, and this is further just kind of magnified by the fact that Jesus is talking to and about the um, the Jewish people. Because what has happened is, since thousands of years ago, God has chosen them to be his people. 
At Mount Sinai, he made a covenant with them that he would be their God and they would be his people. He made a promise to Abraham before that, that through him all nations would be blessed. Israel is his nation. The Jewish people are his people. He sent his son to them and for them. There's a reason when God sent his son into the world that he didn't pop up in in Europe or America or Asia, but in the middle of the Middle East, in Israel, because this is where the people of God are. This is where his chosen people are. And how have they responded? With, at best, indifference. Yeah. With, at worst, outright hostility. This parable is told during Holy Week. Uh, Jesus has entered into Jerusalem and he knows that the time will come soon when he will die on the cross, when the people he came to save will turn against him and kill him. And I think that, that adds a layer of, of meaning to this parable when you think about that, that context. Well, absolutely. And as the parable continues, we see that it moves through the history of God giving his gifts Again, he comes to his people. Uh, Jesus himself says, I have come to Israel. And then we see that they say no, uh, either indifferent or outright uh, hostile rebellion. And then the king says, go out and find anyone. Yeah. Anyone on the main roads. So the servants go and they grab anyone. And it they says bring uh, both bad and good. They yeah. gathered as, as many as they could find. So the wedding feast is prepared. The food, the, the seating is all there. No one is able to be there. And so the servants come and they just bring anyone, good or bad. Well, and let's put this in the context of uh, Jesus' situation, too. Two weeks ago on the 17th Sunday after Pentecost, uh, Jesus told another parable where he talked about uh, these two sons. And the the father told both of them to go work in the field. And one said, I'll go, but he didn't. And one said, I won't go, but then he did. And he asked the, the Pharisees, the leaders of the, the religious leaders of the Jews, which one did the will of their father? And they said it was the one who actually went and did the work. And Jesus points out the, the ones who went and actually did it were the tax collectors and the, the prostitutes, they were the ones who heard the words of John the Baptist, who heard my words and repented and did the will of the Father. Well, you, these Pharisees, you're God's people. You said you would do this. Mm -hmm. But when Jesus came to them, they didn't. And I think that's kind of what's included in this both bad and, and, and good here is um, all, all people, even those who would normally be outcasts, even those who were... Uh, had lived immoral lives, are now welcomed into the kingdom of God as his new chosen people. Well, yes, that, that definitely comes up. But at this point, what, what is interesting is uh, it's the proclamation of the gospel. Mm. And it is seen the gifts of God are offered to anyone and everyone, good yeah. and bad. It is for repentance, hopefully for the bad. But again, it's the whole idea that the gospel is no longer bound only to Israel, but goes out in hopes of conversion of the bad, uh, those who are already believing. So the good is uh, the Jews who were waiting for the Messiah and saw the, the 
saw that Jesus was the one promised. Because we hear in verse 11, but when the king came out into, into look at the guest, he saw a man who had no wedding garment. And it's all singular, and I, I think it's just to make the point of what happens. And he has no wedding garment. And he says, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. The king said to his attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him out into the outer darkness, in that place where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And we see that uh, this man enters the wedding feast wearing his own clothes. Mm. And, and with this, it sounds weird because whose clothes would he be wearing? I mean, is, is this Matt, this king kicking him out because he wasn't dressed fancy enough? Well, what's, what's going on here? A, a little bit. And because this feast would be days on end, to help offset the cost for the guests to be there, the people, the host, would actually provide wedding garments. Mm. And they would be fancy. They would be ornate. And especially if the king is giving it to you. He has the resources to really make you look good. But yet this man enters and says, nope, my clothes are good enough. I deserve to be here. I deserve what is given here. And this is a works righteous statement. This is putting your trust in what you do, who you are, and how you do it. Instead of receiving what God gives. This is baptismal language. This is repentance. Uh, the hope is truly that the bad and the good both repent, both believe, both are changed to receive these gifts and not be like this man who bellies up to the table and says, feed me because I'm good enough. So if I understand you correctly, it sounds like the king to each of his guests gave a wedding garment. So it wasn't like oh, the poor can't get in because he can't afford the fancy clothes. Right. The king gave the wedding garment to everyone that he invited, which in this case was literally everyone. Yeah. Uh, but this person has shown up without the gifts of the king um, to the feast. Yeah, he shows up and it's pretty much a denial. Nope, I don't need your gifts. Nope, I don't need what you're giving. And I should be here anyway. Gotcha. So... I guess connecting this to our own context, I'm thinking that the only way into the wedding feast is through the gifts of the king. Absolutely. And again, the king is God. And what is his gift? But nothing less than Jesus, which you're robed in in baptism, which you're given in holy absolution, which you're given in the Lord's Supper. All of Christ is to cover you. You are covered in his love, in his perfection, in his perfect completion of God's law. And so when the king, God our Father, looks upon us, he doesn't see our horrible garments of sin and death, but the beautiful garments of life and innocence and purity that is only found in Christ. This is a metaphor that we use to talk about the gifts that God has given us. When we talk about being clothed in righteousness, exactly as Pastor Wright was just saying, this means that we have been given these gifts and that when God 
looks at us, when he judges us, when we approach him on the final day for the final feast that's also described in our readings from this week in Isaiah chapter 25. Uh, When we approach him at the final feast, we will be clothed, that is, we will have uh, the gifts of God that show on us. The gifts of God are what we will be seen for. Jesus died for us, giving us his righteousness. He never sinned, and now we have that same mark of never sinning on us. And God sees us as innocent, blameless, and perfect because of what Jesus has done for us. That's what we mean when we say that you have been clothed in righteousness. And verse 14, for many are called and few are chosen. And that statement is simply, few believe and trust that they are fully clothed in Christ and are seeking to earn their way in their clothing of sin and death, which is not what our Lord promises and delivers and truly offers to all people, which is his joyous gift. Thank you for joining us for Get Right for Sunday. We hope this has helped prepare you for Sunday and beyond. If you would like to join us for worship at Holy Cross Lutheran Church, our services are at 6 p.m. on Saturday and 8 o'clock and 9.45 on Sunday. That 8 o'clock service is live streamed on our Facebook page and our website. If you've enjoyed being a part of this conversation, please share this podcast so that others may benefit as well. Feel free to contact Pastor Wright or myself with any questions, comments, or concerns. We can be reached at getrightforsunday at gmail.com. Thank you, and we hope that you'll join us again next week to Get Right for Sunday again.